It's the Michelle the Trainer Show with your host, Michelle the Trainer. Michelle the Trainer. MTT is Michelle the Trainer. With our very special guest star, Mike J. Michael Johnson from Robot Overlords with a Z podcast for today's interesting interview. Robot world, robot world, aloha, and welcome to episode five of the Michelle the Trainer Show, where today it's all about robots. I don't know how many of you know or have read Isaac Asimov, A-S-I-M-O-V. He has the three laws of robotics. He's written several books. He Well, he, he wrote a lot of books. If you're into writing and into reading, you know about Isaac Asimov. Anyway, there's three laws of robotics I thought we'd review briefly. So number one, a robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. Number two, a robot must obey orders given by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. Let's get to it. Again, that's Isaac Asimov, A-S-I-M-O-V, The Three Laws of Robotics. Welcome to the Michelle the Trainer Show, and have a great day. Howdy, this is Michael Payne. I blog at Stranger Array. That's S-T-R-A-N-G-E-R-A-R-R-A-Y.wordpress.com. And you're listening to Michelle the Trainer Show. Good morning. I'm Michelle the Trainer, and today on our interesting interview... We are featuring Mike J. from Robot Overlords with a Z podcast. Hey, Mike, how are you doing? Hey, Michelle. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, thank you. So, man, are, are robots going to take all of the jobs we have left in the, on the mud ball? We have a, an earth that is full of jobs, and now we're a global economy, and I see all these emails and, and you know, scare media about robots taking over every aspect of our life, and since you are the boss of the robot overlords, I thought you could enlighten me. Is this a real threat or what is really going on? Well, you, you know, this has been a concern with technology in general since the 19th century. And a lot of people will, because it's been a concern for so long, they'll write it off. But technology really changed once computers came around and we started getting things that are really the precursor to robotics and really taking our tools. And, and now instead of the tool that makes a worker better, the tool actually becomes the worker, and, and that's changed the equation a lot. So one of the things one of the things that that we do on Robot Overlords is talk about how you know society is changing, and that's a that's a big area that it is changing. So you know there's a lot of people that are thinking in this area, and there there are a lot of possible ways it could go. So I don't think anyone really fully knows yet, but certainly you know since the beginning of time, I think people have dreamt of a future where everybody just has leisure time and we're really we're headed pretty close to that i think well, with the way technology is going i think we thought that and then i don't know maybe it was the trapper md thing and everybody thought it was cool to be on call all the time and somehow instead of getting more freedom i mean isn't that what you very first thought like when the very first um you know i thought i'd be working from the beach at the very first time i think you know way back in the Wildcat BBS or, you know, those <laughs> days, I thought, oh, finally, I can work from somewhere else. And all we did was sort of enslave ourselves a little bit more 
to the machine with cell phones and pagers was what started it. We kind of thought it was cool because we could all pretend like we were, you know, like doctors on TV on call all the time. People might die if we don't show up. And this whole kind of type A stress overload. Now we have more robotics and more automation and the checkout lines. And yeah, so I, I think that, I mean, there will be jobs just like when computers came in, right? It created some newer jobs and they weren't all, you know, they're not all, you know, algorithmic genius jobs. I mean, you could fix, you could program, you could, programming might take a different skill set than cleaning and maintaining or installing or architecture would take a different skill set than, you know, there, there will always be different levels, I think, of jobs um, when we look at this. What about that oh, Mc- I, McDonald's thing? I agree. Well, I have a friend that so I have a friend that works actually at McDonald's in in project management. The actual um, article about there being a robotic McDonald's that is a hoax. It's a it's a hoax news site, but they are working towards that. So I think what you'll see there will always be some jobs at least. But the question really becomes: Will there be enough jobs for all the people that want to work? And how we've kind of structured society. I mean, if we expect people to work and there are not enough jobs, that becomes a huge social problem. But there, there are a number of people who've done some thinking in this area. One of them that we had on as a, as a guest is the author Martin Ford. He was in our episode 132. We called it uh, Robots Rising. But the He's name of book. his book, you were telling me that Robots Rising is your episode, but the name of his book is what? Rise of the Robots. Very good. It is an incredible book. And what did you learn from reading his book? Well, you know, there, there's definitely going to be a gap between the people that want to work and the number of jobs. So it becomes a question of how is society going to adapt to that? How are we going to think about it? And, and really, the point of Martin's book is to, to start that ball rolling. I mean, he doesn't claim to have the answer, but there's a lot of things that we can do. One of the big things that has kind of come up on, on the Internet in talking about this issue is the idea of a basic income, which basically means everybody gets a certain flat fee and replacing all of the different welfare programs and things that we have now with that that kind of basic program. Oh, that's, that a, you- that's a big question. <laughs> Listen to episode 132 of, of uh, Robot Overlord's podcast, and I did put his book in my uh, wish list on Amazon. The, he says that he uh, gave specific examples in the book, do you remember what any of those might have been? One of the big ones is truck drivers, actually. Oh. And, uh, you know, Nevada just legalized the robotic trucks or self-driving trucks on their highways. They're currently negotiating to try to get, like, a corridor set up between, like, Mexico and Canada that, that these self-driving trucks can, can use. You know, I just recently saw an infographic that someone had done that the most common job in every state practically – it, it was something like, you know, 45 out of the 50 states is actually truck driver. That's interesting. You, I'm very passionate, you know, about the automotive uh, autonomy and because of the Ethernet technology, which is, you know, it been around since 1972, 1973. So when I was in engineering, I was an Ethernet expert, and now it's being applied to the automotive field. I've blogged about it a little bit on engineering wellness, and I plan to have some guests talking about it because it's very interesting to take – that technology. I thought it was also very interesting that the wiring harness is the third heaviest part of a vehicle. So if you replace yeah. the wiring harness with um, Ethernet, you're, you know, it's also very cost efficient weight-wise for the vehicle to actually move through space down the road. Yeah, yeah. I think th- those technologies are going to transform 
our transportation and, and shipping and all of that in ways that we haven't even begun to think of. And so that that's really one of the things Martin offers. It's one of the things that we talk about with a lot of our guests. I mean, we, we have a number of futurists and authors and, you know, sci-fi thinking kind of folks that have, have been um, dealing with these ideas for a long time. So there's a lot of options for how society could go on this. And they're not all bad. Yeah, well, let me give you an example. So when I was in Pittsburgh, I told you I played uh, air hockey with a robotic arm for, you know, I could have stayed there all day. We, you know, the arm played air hockey. It picked up the puck. He was a great listener. It was wonderful. And then they had a little, like, a kiosk that was sort of enclosed, and it was like a, a robot pharmacist. This was in the Carnegie um, Science Museum, probably geared for children, but there I was. Anyway, and, and you know, you, you put in the barcode with, a, like, a little fake identification thing, and the robot read the barcode and pretended like it was filling your prescription, and... You know, good thing I didn't pay to go to school for that, okay? So can you think of any other um, easily automated things that you've seen in, in the time that you've been working on uh, Robot Overlords, examples such as that? Anything? One of the big things, and, and this is one that Martin Ford writes about quite a bit, is x-ray technicians, actually. I mean, that's a, that's a very specialized discipline. You know, it costs a lot to become one, and yet they, you know, they make pretty good money, and yet they've already developed algorithms that are so good at recognizing things that they're better than people. And, and one of the things that might come out of this, this whole transformation is that the combination of robots and people is actually better than either one alone. But currently, you know, they, they've already gotten to that point of, for the x-ray technicians, that that job could be automated. And these are people who are very highly paid professionals. They're, you know, they're not the kind of job that you normally think of that's going to be taken over by robots. Sure, and, and again, we should also be supportive of people taking more leadership positions and leadership responsibility. You know, humans will always have emotions and, and you know, uh, be able to assess. And, and, you know, so customers should be assessed by humans. There should always be somebody overseeing, say, a manufacturing floor, you know, that is filled with robots. There's always going to have to be traffic management overview, right? I mean, you know, it's, these things are going to have to happen from human beings. I mean, we're not, it's not like human uh, users, customers, or uh, pedestrians are taken out of the equation all of a sudden when now there's robots on the road or on the manufacturing floor. Yeah, well, and, and one of the big areas that I think humans will stick around in pretty heavily is anything creative or entrepreneurial. And, and really, the, one of the things about the whole idea of a basic income that it could open up is the opportunity for more people to actually become entrepreneurial if they're not, or creative rather, or either one really, entrepreneurial or creative. You know, if they're not tied to doing this a job in order to get food, you know, pay for medical, all the all the things that a job currently consists of, if they're not bound to that, it does potentially free them up, and that that could open up a whole new range of like arts and and companies and and just very, very interesting things. So, you know, I mean, a lot of people, their uh, basic reaction to a basic income is, oh, that wouldn't work. You're just giving money to people to do nothing. And yet most of the pilot programs that have been done with the idea of basic income have shown that in a lot of cases, people do continue to work, but they also start doing these entrepreneurial or creative projects that is really just that to me is one of the most fascinating things about this idea. Yeah, and again, with more processing power, maybe they'd also be easier 
or maybe it would become easier to be able to identify people who are gaming the system. You know, that I think that's the biggest issue that people have, among others, with, with things such as that, is that, you know, there are the people that just, anyway, again, that's a whole nother conversation. But I still think, I mean, there's, I made a list of 10 things, you know, that, that people could do, jobs that they could do, and they don't all require um, top-level computer genius. You don't have to be a rocket science scientist to fix a computer, to program a computer, to recycle the parts, to clean and maintain, to do customer assessment, to supervise, you know, maybe architecture may take a different skill set, you know, installation, testing. So there, I, you know, just quickly, I just made a list of things that, that could still easily, and it's no different, you know, you've worked, you're in, uh, you've worked in IT, I've worked in IT, um, very similar, right? I mean, those jobs didn't exist, you know, 40, 50 years ago either. Oh, exactly. And the, the Internet is really the greatest resource for people to learn new skills. I mean, I, like, I, like you know, I've, I've worked in IT for a long time, almost 20 years now. I've taken exactly two computer classes officially. You know, everything else has, I've learned from the Internet. And, and really, Google and, you know, the groups of users or people writing how-tos on the Internet has, has really taught me everything that I know to the point where, you know, there, there's a lot I remember now, but I actually don't, in my own head, keep a lot of that knowledge. You know, I'll remember that, oh, yeah, there's a command that does this one thing. I have to look it up all the time. Absolutely. And without, and, without Google, I'd be screwed. Well, and I actually think it, it creates a more confident entrepreneur because I, in my project management jobs and in different IT jobs, you know, a lot of times I worked with cutting-edge technology. I worked in performance tests and measurement. And a lot of the cutting-edge protocols that were coming around globally, there was nothing on the Internet, and there was no book, and there was no class. And so sometimes you had to take, you know, the sniffer trace off the wire and, you know, decipher the negotiation between, you know, these packets being sent and these other packets being sent and be able to explain that and troubleshoot it and explain it. So, you know, when the, when you are able, when you are confident that you're able to learn anything that is thrown at you, because the technology doesn't exist in a, in the, you know, antiquated formal uh, education system that we have. Um, and so, you know, that you're able to learn anything on the fly. And so, you know, then you have a confidence that there's really nothing that you can't do. And now you're right. We have all of these um, internet resources now, that I think more so than uh, 20 years ago, for sure. Um, oh, definitely. With formal classes, you know, we have the coding classes online and, and all these different things. Um, so that was my experience. I see a lot of people sometimes it's a confidence thing with being an entrepreneur. They're afraid because they're not an expert or they're not, um, you know, they, they don't have letters behind their name to prove that there's an expert. But I know from in my experience, that you're going to have to learn how to learn when you go. Yeah, well, and the Internet is also a great tool for finding collaborators, people that do know how to do the things that you don't. And there are so many people online who are willing to help. I mean, obviously, online you have to be a little bit smart and a little bit careful because you don't for sure know who people are. But within that, I think there are a ton of people who are just willing to offer their expertise or, or really help people, and there's so many different ways you can connect with them. I mean, for myself, on our podcast, we've used Twitter to connect to all kinds of people that, you know, I, I would have thought, for, for me, just coming from the street, 
there's no way this person wants to talk to me. And and yet the reaction has just been, you know, completely the opposite of that. Well, again, and I, I listened to your uh, podcast where you had the man who taught sales and he used the acronym HEAT. Yes. Do you remember that? And then he spoke about how, you know, that maybe a robot could, could be tenacious and maybe a robot could, um, you know, be helpful, but maybe they couldn't be empathetic and maybe they couldn't be astute. And that is also part of vetting other people online. That's part of how you and I started communicating. There can be 3,000, 5,000 people, 10,000 people, and you have to be able to identify who do you want to meet, who do you want to know, who you have common interests with, and who can you work with. Oh, definitely. And that uh, is a yeah. human that is a human skill, I think. Oh, yeah, and I think that it will be for a long time. So that, that really is the space where people can offer the most. And I think as people connect to each other, that space gets bigger. So really, the more people do this, the, the more room for everyone. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for your time, Mike. Is there anything else? So we can find Mike J at Robot Overlords with a Z podcast online, and I'll put the URL in the show notes. Thanks so much, Michelle. Thank you. Find us at M-I-C-H-E-L-E, thetrainer.com. Read Michelle's blog posts at engineeringwellness.com. At M-I-C-H-E-L-E, trainer on Twitter. 